Monsters is a podcast about the worst human beings on the planet. The episodes of this podcast deal with murder, dismemberment, torture, rape, child abuse, and mental illness. Please turn back while you still can. Listener discretion advised. On October 25, 1994, Susan Smith rolled her car into John D. Long Lake with her two sons, three-year-old Michael and one-year-old Alexander, locked inside. Smith ran to a nearby house where residents called 911. Her story was that a black man had carjacked her with her two sons still in the car. A massive search for the boys began, and the Smiths went on television numerous times to plead for the safe return of their sons. When suspicions fell on Susan, she was adamant that she would never hurt her children. This is Monsters. Come back and find out that he's deceased. Tapping me on the head, telling me I'm cheating, telling me I'm, you know, let me see your phone. Just kill her and she dies. I think Diego Campione is totally in the wrong and I hope he burns in hell for all his sins. Hell's not a very fun place. I only have two hands. I'm not four hands, girl. I'm two hands. And her nose just get escalated and escalated. <laughs> In this season of Monsters, we're telling the stories of people who committed filicide. Though Susan Smith denies that she killed her children over a man, it's more than likely that she did. This would be considered the unwanted child motivator. This motivator accounts for 14% of filicide cases. These murders occur when the child is no longer wanted, when the child has become a burden on the parent. There have been cases where a young mother or father is tired of having a child be a burden on their social life. Other times, a parent may kill their child to collect on a life insurance policy. These are considered unwanted child filicides because the parent is gaining financially, which is more important to them than their own child. One of the other reasons for a parent to commit unwanted child filicide is because they've gotten in the way of a relationship. There have been a number of cases where a parent is told by their partner that they don't want children and they don't want to date someone who has children. Penny Boudreau killed her 12-year-old daughter because she claimed that her boyfriend told her, it's her or me. She chose him. Chris Watts killed his pregnant wife and two daughters in order to be with a woman he was having an affair with. After Susan Smith separated from her husband, she began dating her boss's son. He told her in a letter that he didn't want kids with her and that he didn't want to raise her kids. This is believed to be one of the biggest motivators for her to kill her children, though she continually denies it. Sheriff Howard Wells knew that Susan Smith was lying. Her story was inconsistent and she was unable to pass a polygraph. For the past nine days, Smith had been adamant that her sons had disappeared during a carjacking but the media had gotten wind of the discrepancies in her story and had turned on her. Sheriff Wells was direct this time and simply said, quote, I don't believe your story, end quote. That's when Susan Smith broke down and finally told the truth. Susan Smith came from a turbulent background. Her father was an alcoholic and a violent man who regularly threatened to kill her mother, Linda, and then himself. Her parents got divorced when she was six years old, and just five weeks later, her father committed suicide. 
her mother remarried a local businessman named Beverly Bev Russell, who began molesting Smith just before her 16th birthday. In her senior year of high school, Smith started working at a local supermarket. While working there, she started a relationship with two of her co-workers, one of them an older married man. She became pregnant during this time and had an abortion. The older man found out about the other man and broke up with Smith, throwing her into a deep depression. She attempted to kill herself by taking an overdose of aspirin and Tylenol. She was hospitalized and doctors learned that she had tried to kill herself once before when she was 13 years old. Smith returned to work at the supermarket where she began spending time with David Smith, a stock clerk who was also a former student at her high school. David was already in a relationship with another woman, and when Smith became pregnant, his original girlfriend found out and broke up with him. Both David and Susan were against the idea of her having an abortion, so they chose to get married. The relationship was never on great terms. Susan's mother, Linda, and David didn't like each other. The couple struggled with money, and they were not faithful to each other. After the birth of their first son, Michael, the couple separated and got back together multiple times. Susan dated another man for a while, and David had a relationship with a cashier at the supermarket. When Susan found out she was pregnant again, her and David got back together. After the birth of their second son, Alexander, Susan found a new job. She didn't want a job where her husband was her supervisor, and she wasn't thrilled of the idea of working with the girl he had dated while they were separated. She started out as a bookkeeper at the area's largest employer, Conso Products, but was quickly promoted to executive secretary to the president of the company. This position gave Susan access to her boss's son, Tom Finley. Tom was not only the head of the graphic arts department for Conso, he was rich, had high social standing, and was single. When she started this new job, she and David had been separated, so her and Tom began casually dating. They went to lunch, saw movies, and hung out at parties on his father's estate. A few months after she started working at Conso, Susan and David decided to try to make their relationship work one last time. The effort was short-lived, and in the fall of 1994, Susan told David that she wanted a divorce. She had decided that she wanted to pursue her relationship with Tom and have her dream future. The divorce papers were finalized on October 21st, 1994. Unfortunately for Susan, Tom was not interested in continuing a relationship with her. Just a few days before the divorce papers were finalized, Tom Finley sent a letter to Susan explaining that he no longer wanted to date her. He told her that he didn't want children and that he didn't want to raise her children. He also told Susan that she needed to have more self-respect and referenced an incident where Susan and a friend's husband were seen kissing in a hot tub at a party. He wrote in the letter, which is reenacted here. Dear Susan, I hope you don't mind, but I think clear when I'm typing, so this letter is being written on my computer. This is a difficult letter for me to write, because I know how much you think of me, and I want you to know that I'm flattered that you have such high opinion of me. Susan, I value our friendship very much. You are one of the few people on this earth that I feel I can tell anything. You are intelligent, beautiful, sensitive, understanding, and possess many other wonderful qualities that I and many other men appreciate. You will, without a doubt, make some lucky man a great wife, but unfortunately, it won't be me. Even though you think we have much in common, we are vastly different. 
We have been raised in two totally different environments, and therefore, think totally different. That's not to say that I was raised better than you, or vice versa. It just means that we come from two different backgrounds. For my first two years in Union, I dated very little. In fact, I can count the number of dates I had on one hand. But then Laura came along. We met at Conso, and I fell for her like a ton of bricks. Things were great at first and remained good for a long time, but I knew deep in my heart that she was not the one for me. People tell me that when you find the person that you will want to spend the rest of your life with, you will know it. Well, even though I fell in love with Laura, I had my doubts about a long and lasting relationship, but I never said anything, and I eventually hurt her very, very deeply. I won't do that again. Susan, I could really fall for you. You have so many endearing qualities about you, and I think that you're a terrific person, but like I've told you before, there are some things about you that aren't suited for me, and yes, I'm speaking about your children. I'm sure that your kids are good kids, but it really wouldn't matter how good they may be. The fact is, I just don't want children. These feelings may change one day, but I doubt it. With all of the crazy, mixed up things that take place in this world today, I just don't have the desire to bring another life into it. And I don't want to be responsible for anyone else's children either. But I'm very thankful that there are people like you who are not so selfish as I am and don't mind bearing the responsibility of children. If everyone thought the way that I do, our species would eventually become extinct. But our differences go far beyond the children issue. We are just two totally different people, and eventually, those differences would cause us to break up. Because I know myself so well, I am sure of this. But don't be discouraged. There is someone out there for you. In fact, it's probably someone that you may not know at this time, or that you may know, but would never expect. Either way, before you settle down with anyone again, there is something you need to do. Susan, because you got pregnant and married at such an early age, you missed out on so much of your youth. I mean, one minute you were a kid, and the next minute you were having kids. Because I come from a place where everyone had the desire and the money to go to college, having the responsibility of children at such a young age is beyond my comprehension. Anyhow, my advice to you is to wait and be very choosy about your next relationship. I can see that this may be a bit difficult for you because you are a bit boy crazy, but as the proverb states, good things come to those who wait. I'm not saying you shouldn't go out and have a good time. In fact, I think you should do just that. Have a good time and capture some of that youth that you missed out on, but just don't get seriously involved with anyone until you have done the things in life that you want to do first then the rest will fall into place. Susan, I'm not mad at you about what happened this weekend. Actually, I'm very thankful. As I told you, I was starting to let my heart warm up to the idea of us going out as more than just friends. But seeing you kiss another man put things back into perspective. I remembered how I hurt Laura, and I won't let that happen again. And therefore, I can't let myself get close to you. We will always be friends, but our relationship will never go beyond that of friendship. And as for your relationship with B. Brown, of course, you have to make your own decisions in life. But remember, you have to live with the consequences also. Everyone is held accountable for their actions, and I would hate for people to perceive you as an unreputable person. If you want to catch a nice guy like me one day, you have to act like a nice girl. And you know, nice girls don't sleep with married men. Besides, I want you to feel good about yourself. And I'm afraid that if you sleep with B. Brown, or any other married man for that matter, you will lose your self-respect. I know I did when we were messing around earlier this year. 
So please, think about your actions before you do anything you will regret. I care for you, but also care for Susan Brown, and I would hate to see anyone get hurt. Susan may say that she wouldn't care if her husband had an affair, but you and I know that's not true. Anyhow, as I've already told you, you are a very special person, and don't let anyone else tell you or make you feel any different. I see so much potential in you, but only you can make it happen. Don't settle for mediocre in life. Go for it all and only settle for the best. I do. I haven't told you this, but I am extremely proud of you for going to school. I'm a firm believer in higher education, and once you obtain a degree from college, there is no stopping you. And don't let these idiot boys from Union make you feel like you're not capable or slow you down. After you graduate, you will be able to go anywhere you want in this world, and if you ever wanted to get a good job in Charlotte, my father is the right person to know. He and Coney know everyone who is anyone in the business world in Charlotte, and if I can ever help you with anything, don't hesitate to ask. Well, this letter must come to an end. It is 11.50 p.m. and I'm getting very sleepy, but I wanted to write you this letter because you are the one who is always making the effort for me, and I wanted to return the friendship. I've appreciated it when you've dropped me nice little notes or cards, or the present at Christmas, and it's about time that I start putting in a little effort for our friendship. Which reminds me, I thought long and hard about getting you something for your birthday, but I decided not to because I wasn't sure what you might think. Now I am sorry I didn't get you anything, so you can expect something from me at Christmas. But do not buy me anything for Christmas. All I want from you is a nice sweet card. I'll cherish that more than any store-bought present. Again, you will always have my friendship, and your friendship is one that I will always look upon with sincere affection. Tom The B. Brown he mentions in the letter was the married man she was seen kissing in the hot tub. Susan Brown was his wife. Over the next few days, Susan tried to win Tom back, but he continued to reject her. When a co-worker asked her what was wrong one day, Susan responded that she was in love with Tom Finley, but, quote, it can never be because of my children, end quote. On October 25th, Susan was still trying to get Tom to reconsider, but by now he was fed up with her persistently showing up. He had her escorted from his office, and she left the Conso offices completely distraught. At 8 p.m. that evening, Susan loaded her boys into her car and drove to John D. Long Lake. She pulled the car onto the boat ramp, put the car in drive, and released the brake, sending all three passengers to their death. Suddenly, she stopped the car, got out, and released the brake again. She watched as her car, with both of her children still strapped into the back seat, sank into the lake and disappeared. Smith ran to a nearby house and started yelling for help. The residents, Shirley and Rick McLeod, told their son to call 911 while they talked to the hysterical woman. Susan told them that she had stopped at a red light when a black man with a gun jumped into her car and told her to drive. She claimed that the man forced her to drive to John D. Long Lake, where he had told her to get out. When she asked why she couldn't take her kids, the man allegedly said, quote, I don't have time, end quote. He eventually pushed Susan out of the car and said, quote, Don't worry, I'm not going to hurt your kids, end quote, before driving away. Yes, ma'am. Uh, there's a lady. She come up got door, and uh, she, some guy jumped into a red light with her car. 
with her two kids in it, and uh-huh. he took off, and she got out of the car here at our house. And he's got the kids? Yes, ma'am, and her car. I don't, and she's real hysterical, and I just decided I need to call law and get them down here. Can't even get a figure out which way he's going. What kind of car is it? We need to know something. We're trying to ask her now. A Mazda protege. What color was it? A burgundy Mazda protege. Get them going, Pam. They got two kids. Okay. okay. That's a black guy, she says. Okay. Black male? Yes, ma'am. Do you know which way? Do you know which way he went? Does she daddy? Ask does she know which way he went towards... Did he have a gun? Ask him, did he have a gun? Okay. What did he come say? He's trying to get her out of her now. Did he have any weapons, gun, anything? Did he have a... Look, going towards Chester. Did he have a gun or a weapon? Anything? He had a gun. Yeah. He's got a gun. He's got a gun. Yes, ma'am. Hello? Okay. okay. We're getting him on the way. Okay. Uh, uh, give me your name. Me anything, uh, Rick McLeod is my name. Do you need us to tell you anything from our yard or anything? Okay, can you get a tag number out of her? Daddy, see if you can get a tag number. Police were dispatched right away. Union 105. 105, go ahead. He said it was a black male driving a burgundy protege. Affirmative, 105. And he had two juveniles with him. 105, from what I understood, these were small children. These are her children, and she jumped out of the car, and he took the car with the children, and he's headed toward Chester. Investigators initially believed that Susan Smith was lying, but they launched a massive search for her missing children nonetheless. David rushed to the scene at the McLeod's residence, as did other family members. Things immediately became awkward when Susan warned David that her boyfriend, Tom Findlay, might show up and she didn't want him to get upset. David thought it was a strange thing to be concerned with while their children were missing. Susan told the media what happened, and the couple pleaded for their children to be returned. Then please let me take them. And he said, no, we didn't have time because they were in car seats, and it was going to take time for me to get them out of the car seat. And um, he just told me, he said, but I won't hurt them. And he just took off. But he had a gun, and my, my big thing is they were screaming, hollering, and crying, and... I'm just scared that he just lost his patience or something. I plead to the guy, to the man, me and my wife, plead to him to please return our children to us safely and unharmed. We love our children very much, and we want them returned to us safe and sound. They spent the next week doing multiple interviews with the press. To say to whoever has my children that they please. I mean, please bring them home. Susan cries in some of the interviews, but it just doesn't sound real. I can't sleep. I can't eat. I can't do anything but think about them. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I just want to hug them so bad and tell them I love them. She goes on camera claiming to, quote, feel in her heart, end quote, that her sons are okay. She knows full well that they are dead, strapped into their car seats in a car underwater. The police continue to have unanswered questions about her story, but she doubles down and tries to keep up the charade. I want to say to my babies that your mama loves you so much, 
And your daddy, this whole family's love you so much. And you guys have got to be strong because you are, we, 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 I just know, I just feel in my heart that you're okay. But you got to take care of each other. And your mom and daddy are going to be right here waiting on you when you get home. FBI agent David Caldwell gave both David and Susan polygraph tests. David showed that he had no knowledge of what happened to his children. Susan's test, however, came back inconclusive. As more and more suspicion fell on Susan, she did more and more interviews with investigators, and they gave her two more polygraph tests. Both of them were inconclusive. Investigators said that she answered questions in a way that would be deliberately confusing. As the investigation continued, authorities uncovered many inconsistencies in her story. She claimed that she had stopped at a red light at Monarch Mills, and she saw no other cars around. That intersection is on a highway, and the light stays green unless another car approaches at the intersection on the cross street and trips the sensor. The light would not turn red if no other cars were around. Smith also claimed that she was on her way to visit a friend, Mitch Sinclair. When Sinclair was questioned, he said he was not expecting Susan, and that he wasn't even home at the time. When authorities presented the inconsistencies to her, she would come up with explanations that were impossible to verify. At one point, investigators asked Susan about her relationship with Tom Findlay. They asked her if him rejecting her had anything to do with the disappearance of her sons. She answered, quote, No man would make me hurt my children. They were my life, end quote. Referring to her sons in the past tense led investigators to believe that she already knew that they were dead. Eventually, the media found out about the holes in her story, and they started to turn on her. She went on camera again to defend herself. I know right here what the truth is. Um, I can, I can, from some, I can see from their side uh, why they have to do the things they have to do. Uh, but the Lord and and myself both know the truth. I did not have anything to do with the abduction of my children. Quote, I did not have anything to do with the abduction of my children. End quote. A flat-out lie. After nine days of suspicion from the police and accusations from the media, Smith finally confessed to killing her sons. On November 3, 1994, Sheriff Wells brought Susan in for another interrogation where he straight up told her that he didn't believe her. He told her that he knew she was lying, and then he told her a little lie. He took a gamble and told Susan that there was a camera at the intersection of Monarch Mills, and that it showed that there was no carjacking on that evening. If she found out he was lying, it could make her completely stop cooperating. Fortunately, she bought the lie and told the sheriff the truth. She claimed that she wanted to kill herself and the children, but eventually got out of the car and left her boys in it to die. In her handwritten confession, which is reenacted here, she says, When I left my home on Tuesday, October 25th, I was very emotionally distraught. I didn't want to live anymore. I felt like things could never get any worse. I was going to ride around a little while and then go to my mom's. As I rode and rode and rode, I felt even more anxiety coming upon me about not wanting to live. I felt I couldn't be a good mom anymore, but I didn't want my children to grow up without a mom. I felt I had to end their lives to protect us from any grief or harm. 
I had never felt so lonely and so sad in my entire life. I was in love with someone very much, but he didn't love me and never would. I had a very difficult time accepting that, but I had hurt him very much and I could see why he could never love me. When I was at John D. Long Lake, I had never felt so scared and unsure as I did then. I wanted to end my life so bad and was in my car ready to go down that ramp into the water. And I did go partway, but I stopped. I went again and stopped. I then got out of the car and stood by the car, a nervous wreck. Why was I feeling this way? Why was everything so bad in my life? I had no answers to these questions. I dropped to the lowest point when I allowed my children to go down the ramp into the water without me. I took off running and screaming, Oh God! Oh God, no! What have I done? Why did you let this happen? I wanted to turn around so bad and go back, but I knew it was too late. I was an absolute mental case. I couldn't believe what I had done. I love my children with all my heart. That will never change. I have prayed to them for forgiveness and hope that they will find it in their heart to forgive me. I never meant to hurt them. I am sorry for what has happened, and I know that I need some help. I don't think I will ever be able to forgive myself for what I have done. My children, Michael and Alex, are with our Heavenly Father now, and I know that they will never be hurt again. As a mom, that means more than words could ever say. I knew from day one the truth would prevail. But I was so scared, I didn't know what to do. It was very tough emotionally to sit and watch my family hurt like they did. It was time to bring a peace of mind to everyone, including myself. My children deserve to have the best, and now they will. I broke down on Thursday, November 3rd, and told Sheriff Howard Wells the truth. It wasn't easy, but after the truth was out, I felt like the world was lifted off my shoulders. I know now that it is going to be a tough and long road ahead of me. At this very moment, I don't feel I will be able to handle what's coming, but I have prayed to God that he will give me the strength to survive each day and to face those times and situations in my life that will be extremely painful. I have to put my total faith in God, and he will take care of me. Bullshit. She never planned on killing herself. She wanted to get rid of her children so that Tom Finley would accept her love now that she wasn't strapped down with kids. She said in a later interview that she assumed the car would be found sooner and was shocked when the divers didn't find it. She assumed that the police would find the car and think that the carjacker ditched it in the lake. Then, she would be free to live her dream life with Tom. If she wanted to kill herself, why get out of the car and then roll it into the lake with just her kids inside? I understand that depression doesn't make you think rationally, but her explanation just doesn't make sense. After giving authorities the location of where the car sank, divers were able to find it and recover the children's bodies. They had assumed the car was driven into the lake and were searching too far out. The car had slowly rolled into the lake, which put it closer to the shore. An autopsy revealed that the boys were alive when they went into the water and they slowly drowned. Authorities also said, for her to know exactly where the car was, she had to have stood there and watched the car completely sink, not run off right away, like she claimed. When police called for a press conference, everyone was shocked by the development. Susan Smith has been arrested and will be charged with two counts of murder in connection with the deaths of her children, Michael III, and Alexander, 14 months. The vehicle, a 1990 Mazda, driven by Smith, 
was located late Thursday afternoon in Lake John D. Long near Union. Two bodies were found in the vehicle's back seat. Identities are pending an autopsy. Nobody was more shocked than David Smith. He had stood by Susan's side for nine days as they pleaded for their children to be returned. The whole time, Michael and Alexander's killer was standing right beside him. I was heartbroken. It was, it was a, a sickening feeling that I've never felt experienced in my life before. I felt empty. I felt hollow. I felt betrayed. Susan Smith was arrested and charged with two counts of murder and was eligible for the death penalty. Her defense tried to use her troubled past to claim that she suffered from mental illness. They tried to argue that Susan was in a severely depressed state and the boys died due to a failed suicide attempt. The prosecution argued that she was a manipulative person who killed her children for her own personal gain. They were more convincing. Even though, for some reason, the judge gave the jury the option to consider a lesser charge of manslaughter, the jury found Susan Smith guilty of two counts of murder. However, the jury rejected the prosecution's request to sentence her to death. On July 27, 1995, Susan Smith was sentenced to 30 years to life in prison. She would be eligible for parole in 2025, but she most likely won't get it. Since being incarcerated, Smith has been far from a model prisoner. She was caught having sex with a 50-year-old prison guard. That guard was fired and served three months in prison. The following year, she had sex with another guard, who was fired and given five years probation. Smith was disciplined twice in 2010 for use of drugs, and a third time for self-mutilation. In 2012, she lost 240 days of privileges for unauthorized use of an inmate's pen. She was disciplined again for drugs in 2015. She tried to file an appeal to her conviction in 2010. She claimed that her Miranda rights were violated. She claimed that she had inadequate representation and that there was prosecutorial misconduct. WYFF's Angela Rodriguez reports. For starters, Smith is alleging that her Amanda rights were violated. Police call them Miranda rights. That's basically your right to remain silent. She also alleges that she didn't have adequate representation. She alleges prosecutorial misconduct. But the solicitor isn't too concerned that this is going to wind up back in court because he says the statute of limitations on this particular motion expired 14 years ago. Now, since she corrected Susan Smith for writing Amanda rights instead of Miranda rights, this reporter should know that it's statute of limitations, not statue of limitations. Just saying. These issues should have been used to file an appeal immediately after her trial. That's why there's a one-year statute of limitations on filing the appeal. She was trying to apply for post-conviction relief 15 years after the trial ended. South Carolina District Attorney Kevin Brackett explains. A number of the issues that she's uh, raised in this post-conviction relief are, are appellate issues that she should have raised on direct appeal after the trial. Um, so, you know, they're not appropriate for this sort of thing. I think there's a number of problems with the application. Another one of the issues she brought up was the fact that the jury never heard that she may have suffered from battered woman syndrome or battered wife syndrome. In case you don't know, battered woman syndrome is a defense that's used when someone kills their spouse. 
It's a type of self-defense that's used when the defendant kills their spouse when they aren't in danger that very moment. The argument is that the pattern of past abuse causes the person to believe that killing their abuser is the only way to survive. They are defending themselves from a culmination of abuses rather than to a single abusive act. The problem is, this defense has no bearing on a woman who has killed her own children as explained by Solicitor Brackett. Battered spouse syndrome has absolutely nothing to do with this case. There's no way it could possibly have been a defense to murdering your children. Her appeal was thrown out by Circuit Judge Lee Alford, who said that she signed a sworn statement waiving her first shot at an appeal in 1996. In October of 2014, Columbia, South Carolina publication The State was doing a 20th anniversary story about Susan Smith and they contacted her, asking if she would be willing to be interviewed. They didn't hear back from her in time, so they printed their story. It was a good story, very detailed, but like any other story about Susan Smith, it included the likely scenario that she had killed her kids because she wanted to be with Tom Findlay. Susan always has, and I assume always will, deny that that was her motive. It turns out that the state's letter to Susan had been delayed at the South Carolina Department of Corrections Correspondence Review Committee, which is a mouthful, but SCDCCRC isn't much better. She was eventually able to respond with a letter on January 15, 2015, which is reenacted here. Dear Mr. Cahill, I know it is very late in writing you, but I wanted to still let you know that I did not receive your request for information until November 20, 2014, a month after the 20-year anniversary. Your letter was sent to the SCDC Correspondence Review Committee and was not approved until November 19, 2014. I imagine that was done on purpose. I wanted to let you know that I would have most likely responded to your letter because I haven't yet been able to speak on my behalf. It has been hard to listen to lie after lie and not be able to defend myself. It's frustrating to say the least. Mr. Cahill, I am not the monster society thinks I am. I am far from it. Something went very wrong that night. I was not myself. I was a good mother and I loved my boys. The thing that hurts me the most is that people think I hurt my children in order to be with a man. That is so far from the truth. There was no motive, as it was not even a planned event. I was not in my right mind. The only reason I lied is because I didn't know how to tell the people who love Michael and Alex that they would never see them again. I didn't want to hurt them. I knew the truth would come out, but I had planned to kill myself first and leave a note behind telling what had happened. I didn't believe I could face my family when the truth was revealed. This is only a small piece of the story, but I did want to tell you that if you're ever interested in doing another article, please let me know. In the meantime, take care of yourself. In order for me to receive your mail quicker, put your name only on the envelope and don't use company stationery. If you do, it'll probably go to the review committee again. Sincerely, Susan. 20 years later, she is still trying to convince people that she wanted to kill herself and somehow accidentally killed her sons instead. Based on this letter, she planned on killing herself again before she was arrested, but coincidentally enough, she backed out that time as well. Maybe she's convinced herself that that's what happened because she's unable to accept the truth. Honestly, in my opinion, I believe she has no remorse for killing her children. 
I believe she wanted to get rid of them to win back Tom Finley, and never had any intention of killing herself that evening. She rolled her sons into the lake, she watched the car sink to the bottom, she already had a story worked out, she thought the police would find the car relatively quickly and would assume that the carjacker dumped it there. This was a planned killing of her own children in order to win the love of a man. Unfortunately for Susan, the jury believed the same thing. Thank you for listening to Monsters. For more stories of the worst people on the planet, you can visit our blog at thisismonsters.com.